Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. chapter 3. It's the next to last book in the Old Testament. So two books before Matthew, which is, should be pretty easy to find. Right before Malachi, right after little Haggai, who is not little in God's eyes. Those minor prophets are not minor. <laughs> every, war, every person in the Bible is major. Every word is major. So this morning, we're going to jump into the middle of a young prophet's wild night of dreams and visions. Zechariah was indeed this young man who God entrusted with a staggering level of revelation to. Zechariah received some of the most specific in-time detail and prophetic understanding in the whole of the Bible. The book of Zechariah is all about God's zeal and burning love for one city and one people group, the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. But by extension, we're included in that number through faith in Jesus. So it's his zeal and his burning love for his people, his global church, those of us who have come to saving faith through Jesus. In Zechariah 8, verse 2, is the key to the whole book. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous For Zion, with great zeal, and with great fervor, I am zealous for her. The Lord burns for this city. He burns for the Jewish people, and he burns for us with great zeal, with great fervor. That word actually means his heart churns for us. Can you see the heart of God churning for you and for the Jewish people? Thankfully, how the Lord feels about Zion, how he feels about Jerusalem, is how he feels about us as well. His treatment of Jerusalem and its leaders is an intensified, concentrated microcosm of how he will treat us. We can take great comfort in this as we peer into God's dealings with the main spiritual leader of their day, which was Joshua. What was Zechariah's day? What was Joshua's day? Well, the immediate context of this chapter is set on a specific night in 519 B.C., February 15th to be exact, which was about five months after the remnant of Israel had started rebuilding the temple, that house of prayer in Jerusalem for the second time. So from Zechariah 1 through 6, there is a detailed chronicle of eight different dreams and visions that the young prophet Zechariah had on this wild night. But this morning, we're going to jump into and focus on one of those visions, the fourth vision exclusively. All eight visions are valuable and applicable to every believer for all time, but I felt especially called to preach, and more than that, to impart this fourth vision in chapter 3, because I think it might have the most significant day-to-day impact on our lives. The themes addressed in this fourth vision are especially relevant to us as we approach the return of the Lord and are caught up in the early days of this end-time drama, where the themes of accusation and suspicion and a culture of betrayal will mature and reach its most intensified climax. We see this today in our culture, 
with the recent rise of the cancel culture. Zechariah 3 demonstrates how the Lord fights for us to actually cancel and rebuke the author of the cancel culture, which is the devil himself. We need to know how to fight and overcome the accusation of the enemy. And Zechariah 3, I believe, holds the most profound keys in the whole of the Bible for that very fact. In context, Zechariah 3 mainly deals with the Lord intervening and rebuking and defending Joshua against the accusation of the enemy. He was the primary spiritual leader of the day. Satan was literally trying to cancel Joshua because of his past and present failures and weaknesses as a spiritual leader. Now, by opposing and accusing Joshua, Satan was also trying to thwart and cancel the rebuilding of the house of prayer in Jerusalem because he knew, he knew, Satan knows, if God's people rebuilt and reinstated day and night worship in that city, his demonic influence on the land would be greatly hindered. That's what prayer and worship does. It greatly hinders the activity of Satan. But the Lord, in his sovereign power, wouldn't allow this plan to cancel Joshua to work. The Lord, his holy angels, and even the young prophet Zechariah got in on the process of cleaning and clearing the heart and the mind and even the reputation of Joshua. They restored him completely in these five verses, inside and out, and publicly restored his image before the people. So in this chapter, we have the Lord going to bat for his chosen. We have the Lord cleansing the heart of the priesthood and then empowering and anointing this priest with a clear mind so that he could do what God had called him to do, to spiritually lead the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And based on this amazing restoration in these five verses that we're about to look at, I have a desire, I have a prayer for us all this morning. Yes, I'm going to teach us, but more than that, I desire the Lord through me to impart to each one of you a cleansing of the heart and a clearing of the mind. I desire the Lord to rebuke the accuser and the devourer over your life so that from this place of a clean heart and hearing the Lord's narrative over your life, you may possess a deeper confidence in the Lord's provision in backing you to fulfill each one of your unique ministry assignments. Now again, contextually, this chapter is about one Jewish priest in 519 BC, but guess what? We are both priests and kings to our God. Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. Revelation one, it'll be up on the screen, five and six. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Each one of you is a priest. Back in the days of Joshua, it was Joshua and his friends who were priests. Every single one of you are priests and kings. So every word spoken to Joshua, the high priest in chapter three here, can be applied to us because the Lord himself has made us New Testament priests. As New Testament priests, we offer up spiritual sacrifices of prayer and song and giving. Every word in this chapter we can put our name on. So let's look into these verses now. Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he, 
This is the interpreting angel. That's the he there. There's an interpreting angel that was Zechariah's friend through all eight visions, which is super cool. Then he, the interpreting angel, showed Zechariah Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So he's face to face with God, Joshua. But to his right hand, Satan, the adversary, was standing to oppose and accuse him. What a scene. This verse one scene is the, is the current and constant spiritual reality of every believer for all time. This is happening right now with you in the place of Joshua. But in the, there's good news. In the final three and a half years of human history and then beyond that, Satan will be cast down to the earth from his place of authority in the second heavens. And there will no longer be a voice of accusation in the heavenly realms against you. But as for right now, that's not the case right now. It will be right before the last three and a half years of human history. Right now, day and night in the heavenly realms, Satan is having a conversation about your life that is horrific. It is horrifically hopeless, perverted, and negative. We see this also in Revelation 12, starting at verse 9. So the great dragon, that's Satan, was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. That's what's happening at the very end. And his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Why? For the accuser of our brethren. That's the Jewish people and the believers in Jesus. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, 24-7. This accuser has been cast down. That's what we're, we're living for that day. And they overcame him. How do we overcome the accusation of the enemy? We overcome him with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and we do not love our lives to the death. We love Jesus more than we love our own lives. But right now in the heavenlies, in the unseen but very real spiritual realm, there are two conversations going on about you and every single person around you. There are two opinions diametrically opposed to one another being broadcasted day and night about your life to all the angels and demons. One, as we have seen here in Zechariah 3 and Revelation 12, is the conversation of accusation. Satan's full-time occupation right now is to accuse you of your shortcomings, to make up lies about you, to broadcast that your life is a failure, and to convince you that you've never done anything good for God and you never will do anything good for God. The devil incessantly proclaims that your existence is meaningless, pathetic, and worthless. Satan employs all of his limited spiritual resources. They are limited, praise God. And he runs out of steam if you don't give up. All of his limited spiritual resources are being employed to accuse you, to accuse others, and most importantly, to accuse God himself. He seeks to roar at you with deception and trickery, to cause you to view God, yourself, and others in a wrong way. He distorts reality. He accuses the character, the nature, and the motives of God, and therefore causes you to question yourself and others. Satan seeks to paint the picture of your life in the most twisted, vile, evil, and hopeless light imaginable, and he will not relent. 
He will seek any avenue necessary to bring his accusation narrative into your mind, your heart, and your mouth, and into the mouths of others around you. Whether that's coming directly against your mind with demonically inspired thoughts that are like flaming arrows, or attacking and intimidating you with dark dreams in the night, seeking to defile you and your conscience. I had one last night. Or twisting scripture itself to condemn you or others. He will also use other people, other mouthpieces, both inside and outside of the body of Christ to speak accusatory thoughts and opinions about you and others. Again, this is Satan's full-time employment, according to the Bible. This is his full-time employment, and this is one of the two conversations and opinions that are constantly being spoken in the heavenly spiritual realm. But thankfully, take a deep breath, thankfully, there's a second conversation, a second camp, a completely opposite second opinion. How many times have you received a second opinion from a doctor that was way better than that test that went wrong the first time? This is a completely opposite second opinion that is going on day and night. It's being broadcasted about you. This is the voice of our beloved. Many of you heard his voice during worship, through the worship songs or the Holy Spirit whispering to you. I know Lorena was hearing his voice. This is the voice of our beloved. This is the voice of our savior. This is the conversation of our high priest, our mediator, our advocate, our defense lawyer, our intercessor, Jesus. Jesus' eternal job description is that of an intercessor. That's his first employment category on his LinkedIn bio. Intercessor. Jesus of Nazareth, intercessor. Current city, heaven. Jesus' eternal activity is to defend and pray for the saints and his purposes on the earth. It's amazing. Hebrews 7.25, I'm going to pepper y'all with three verses that prove this reality. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Psalm 110, verse 4, the Lord has sworn to Jesus and will not relent. You, Jesus, are a priest, a mediating priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Romans 8, 27. Now he, Jesus, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He, that Holy Spirit that lives in you, he knows what the Holy Spirit's thinking because they're in one accord. Because he, Jesus, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. The, this conversation of Jesus over our lives and over the lives of others who have said yes to, to him is indescribably kind and generous and glorious. God's evaluation of our lives through the editing process of the grace of God is staggeringly positive and beautiful. We're gonna be blown away with his evaluation of our lives if we continue in the faith. God's evaluation of our lives through the editing process of the grace of God is wonderful. In Acts 13, two examples, God said of David that David possessed the very heart of God and that David did all of God's will in his life. Have you read 2 Samuel? David did 
all of God's will in his life. God was basically saying that David got a perfect score on the test of his life. In light of David's real failures, how kind was this evaluation of David? (laughs) In Romans 4, another example, God said of Abraham that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham totally wavered. That's why there's Ishmael through Hagar. He totally wavered, but God said, no, he didn't. Look at Abraham's life. Not in God's eyes through the editing process of his grace. (laughs) And I just felt a few people, the Lord wanted me to encourage you today with this reality. The Lord sees you right now getting a perfect score. Evan. I felt that for you. Sherry, I felt that for you. Laura, I felt that for you. Take confidence. It's for everyone if you grab it, but take confidence. The Lord highlighted you three. God is so much more proud of our weak efforts to love him and others than we could even begin to imagine. One weak and broken and half-distracted glance of our eyes towards the Lord in prayer and worship undoes ravishes the very heart of God. He is wildly moved by the seemingly small movements of our heart and our baby steps of trying to obey him. Through the lens of Jesus' blood, how God feels and thinks about us is the same way that he feels and thinks about Jesus. Talk about a positive Yelp review of your life. How the Father feels about Jesus is how he feels about you. Golly. The Father says over us that we are the very perfect righteousness of God in Christ. We are co-heirs with Jesus of the entire world. We are eternal sons and daughters who always have a seat at the table, the best seat. We are loved with the same quality and intensity that God has for God. We are super conquerors with Jesus and so on. Imagine this unthinkably favorable water cooler conversation that the Father's having with the Son, that's having with the Spirit about your life right now. It's favorable, way more than we realize. And believe me, we want to fight with all of our might, by the grace of God, to hear what God is saying over us, over others, and even over God himself. And you can ask God at any time what he's praying and saying over you and over other people at any time. I believe this is the most noble fight for a Christian to engage in, to battle through the accusation narrative and conversation of the enemy and into the intercession conversation that Jesus is having about us and others. Now, in reality, depending on the season we're in, depending on the day we're having, Even sometimes, depending on one moment versus the next moment, we can either be tapped more into God's opinion and narrative over us, or we can be tapped more into the conversation that the devil and his demons are having over us. I believe this one oscillating spiritual battle, you can put up the graphic with the arrow, I believe this one oscillating spiritual battle sums up the Christian fight of faith and the sanctification 
process. Our whole lives are characterized by advances or retreats in this fight and journey to get caught up and stay in the conversation that Jesus is having about himself, about us, and about others. This is the scale of the two heavenly conversations. Zero, (laughs) Satan wants to make you feel like a zero. Zero, Satan, the devil, is demons. They're constantly accusing you. They're saying you're worthless, you're hopeless, you're vile. You're a zero. Completely other end of the spectrum. 100% acceptance and love, unconditional. The Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, his angels even, I believe, they're interceding. They're saying you're full of value. You're full of hope in the Lord, and you have a perfect identity. This one oscillating spiritual battle, oscillating just means to go back and forth, this is the fight. We could be anywhere on this scale at any given moment to how we're thinking about ourselves, others, and even God. I want us to make advancements in this. I want us to stay positioned closer to the 100% end of this scale. We're going to look at real practical ways at the end for how to do that. But before that, let's go back to the Zechariah 3 text to see how the Lord, his angels, and even Zechariah here fights for Joshua in order to break the power of, interse- or of accusation. All right, Zechariah 3. We'll read verse 1 again. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. That, that phrase right hand is really key. Right hand in the Bible means strength. Just like most of us are right-handed. Satan stands to zap you of your strength. Daniel 7.25, the Antichrist speaks pompous words against the Most High and seeks to wear out the saints. He wants to wear you out, make you tired, because when you're tired, you make terrible decisions. Brooke led us in a great exchange at youth group on Wednesday night, and I said, Lord, what do I have to give to you? And it was, the Lord just spoke, tiredness, feeling tired. So I I gave him tiredness, and he gave me back his joy. His joy is my strength. Make that great exchange. When you're tired, give him your tiredness. He will give you his joy, which will strengthen you. Verse two, the Lord said to Satan, I love this, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this, Joshua, not a brand plucked from the fire? (laughs) I love the exclamation points in the verse. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you, Satan. The Lord bases his defense of Joshua on his sovereign choice of the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people and his covenantal promises to them. Because God has chosen Jerusalem, by extension, he will defend Joshua. Because he has chosen us before the foundation of the world to live in the eternal city of the new Jerusalem forever, By extension, he will defend us. God's choice demands his defense. God's choice demands his defense. He's covenanted and sworn by himself to defend and stand up for those who are his. Let's take great comfort in this. Put your name on this verse. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem and Micah rebuke you. Put your name in this verse. Am I not a brand plucked from the fire? 
Can a brand or a stick in a fire, can it remove itself from the fire? No. They can't. A brand can't deliver itself. Only the sovereign grace of God can pluck a sinner from the jaws of darkness and hell and transfer them into the kingdom of light. This is a preview of the messianic grace that Jesus would bring. This is an Old Testament preview of that. Nothing Joshua could have done himself would have rescued him. This saving, redeeming grace was all God's initiative, which is beautiful. All right, back to the text. Let's look at verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Filthy garments was the reality of Joshua's heart condition. Let's not skip over this. He really screwed up. He really was in sin and compromise. His garments really were dirty. His heart really was dirty. He was in sin and weakness and compromise, just like all of us before Christ. There was some basis to Satan's accusation, and there often there is. But where sin abounds and accusation abounds, God's grace abounds and covers that much more. I love it. Verse four, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him. This is the Lord speaking to the angels now before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. In his grace, he just takes away the filthy garments because of his choice. And to him, to Joshua, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity or your rebellion and your sin and all its evil consequences from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. Look at this little word, three letters, see. See, Joshua, I have removed your iniquity. We are commanded to see here in verse four. We must behold the cleansing and redeeming and restorative work of the Lord in our lives. This is the fight. The battle is to overcome feelings of unworthiness, and condemnation when we fall short, and see with the eyes of our heart, with the eyes of faith, just what Jesus has done for us through his cross. We must see how he sees us and what he's done for us. We must perceive and hear what he's saying over us. It's imperative that we see even his rebuke of the enemy and his complete reversal of the enemy's narrative over our lives. He says right here, I will clothe you, I'm gonna take away your dirty clothes, and I'm gonna clothe you now with rich robes. Rich robes. What does a robe do? It completely surrounds someone, 360 degrees. If you have a good robe, a robe that fits. It provides 360 degrees of coverage. Stevie, I know you got a robe. This is the clean, spotless, radiant robe of righteousness that the Lord wraps and clothes around those who come to him. This is seen clearly in Isaiah 61.10, if you want another reference, Isaiah 61.10. Catch this, God didn't leave Joshua in neutral. He didn't just remove his filthy clothes and his sinful heart and leave him naked. He positively clothed him with clean clothes and a rich robe. He doesn't leave us in neutral. He actually clothes and wraps us completely in radiant glory and imparts to us his own perfection. All right, because verse five. Look at this. This might be my favorite part of it because it's where we come in. Look at verse five. 
Zechariah says, and I said, Zechariah, the young prophet said, let them put a clean turban on his head. Let them, the angels, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Catch this, guys. Zechariah, the prophet, a mere man, probably in his 20s, here he was caught up in this angelic heavenly encounter, and his words made a difference for Joshua. Zechariah got in on the action. Zechariah went the extra mile and interceded himself for Joshua, the high priest. He stood up for his companion and friend in the rebuilding process. You have to think, what if Zechariah was offended at the Lord's grace and said, don't remove those, he's, he's in sin. What would have happened? He might have stayed in sin. That's how powerful our words are. But he went the extra mile and said, put a clean turban on him. He's got the robe, put it on his head now. Joshua's complete restoration and deliverance and reinstatement as a clean and fully functioning high priest of Israel only came through Zechariah's intercession. That's why we have a prayer room. Our deliverance, catch this, our deliverance is often found in the mouth of another believer around us. Our deliverance is often found in the mouth of another believer sitting next to you maybe today. This is the power of our anointed prayers. Joshua's full deliverance was in the mouth of Zechariah. The clean turban. This was a public statement. You can see it on the screen there. This was a public statement of Joshua's calling and role as a holy and anointed high priest of the God of Israel. Everyone who looked at Joshua would see this clean turban with the Hebrew inscription, holy unto the Lord. That's what it says in Hebrew. Holy unto the Lord. Everyone who saw Joshua would see that. Written across his forehead. They would know that he was appointed and anointed of the Lord to lead God's people spiritually. This turban was also representative of the Lord giving Joshua a clean and sound mind. <laughs> this turban, just like the robe, was to wrap 360 degrees around his head to symbolize the Lord protecting the priest's mind so that he and all his companions would be more inclined to think the thoughts of God, the pure thoughts of God. How wonderful. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Look at that last verse we'll look at today. And the angel of the Lord stood by. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. Meaning he, he stood by, meaning he lovingly approved what this little Zechariah just got in the action and said. He was standing by the proceedings giving a thumbs up to what Zechariah asked for for Joshua. The Lord lovingly approves our intercession for one another. You pray for a clean turban for your friend who's battling accusation, battling sin. You pray for clean robes, God gives a thumbs up to that. He stands by and says, yes, keep interceding for that person. Don't accuse him, intercede for him. This fact should move us greatly that God endorses our weak requests. It should motivate us greatly to pray for clean turbans for ourselves and our friends in the kingdom. Now to close, we're going to look at seven ways, seven really practical ways to get caught up and remain in Jesus' conversation. 
Saying this another way, we're gonna look at practical ways to receive and agree with the intercession of Jesus for ourselves and others. Ways to receive and keep the clean garments and the clean turban, which represent ways to receive a clean heart and a clear mind. Saying in a negative way, we're going to look at ways to avoid being dragged down into the turbulent firestorm of the devil's accusation narrative over our lives and others. This is ways to escape, seven ways to escape the snare of accusation and to catapult ourselves onto the Jesus end of the heavenly conversation spectrum. I encourage us to write these down if you have a notepad or phone. First way, saturate, keyword saturate. Saturate your heart and mind with the word of God, the written word of God, especially the words in red. His word is truth, John 17, 17, and sanctifies or actually makes us holy in our hearts and minds. The truth is that you might be struggling with an area of sin. You might have dirty garments. But if you're living a lifestyle of repentance and you don't want those, and you're warring against that sin, guess what? You're the perfect righteousness of God in Christ. That's your identity. The word tells you that. The word is like a hammer that breaks the enemy's accusation strongholds in pieces. His word is like a fire that burns hotter and brighter than the fiery darts of the enemy's evil thoughts that he shoots at you. The only remedy for the devil's fiery darts against your mind is a hotter fire. And it's God's word that is a hotter fire. The word saturate is key. We must saturate ourselves in the Bible. When we are squeezed, we need to ooze out Bible juice. I'm serious. This is the primary way to combat the devil's lies and accusatory narrative over our lives and the lives of others. This is what Jesus did in the desert. When he was squeezed after 40 days with no food or water, what came out? Deuteronomy 8, three times. He thwarted the devil's conversation by answering him with the Father's word in conversation over his life. Charles Spurgeon said this of John Bunyan. He said, I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his, and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. John, he had read the Bible till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his Pilgrim's Progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why? This man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. Prick John Bunyan anywhere. His blood, his blood is Bibline. He bleeds the Bible. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. Let us be like John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon, and bleed Bibline. And so let us escape the constant conversation of Satan over us and others by filling our souls to a scriptural saturation point. We will begin to think more of the thoughts of God as we do this. Me in the hospital, 2010 and 2012, recovering from alcoholism, I was in terrible shape. Body, mind, spirit, everything. There was really no hope for me getting out of that hospital until I opened the word, started reading the words in red, everything shifted. Like the next day I was able to get out of the hospital. 
It happened twice, 2010 and 2012. It's real. I've been in the darkest, deepest valley of addiction, and the word has gotten me out. Second way, declare two things over your heart and mind if you're feeling accusation. Declare the blood of Jesus. And the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem and me, you can put your name in there, you can speak in the third person, rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem and Kyle rebuke you, Satan. Satan can't stand the blood of Jesus. The blood cleanses our heart and mind like no other substance in the universe. One drop of the blood of Jesus is more powerful than a billion nuclear bombs in the spirit. The blood reminds Satan of his defeat and shuts him up. Demons flee at the blood of Jesus. Regularly taking the blood through communion and declaring the blood over our hearts and minds will go a long way to advance us closer to the conversation and opinion of God over us. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem and me rebuke you. This was how the Lord himself defeated the accusation against Joshua. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Confession is saying the same thing as. Let us confess the words of the Lord over ourselves. Let us say the same thing about us that the Lord said to Satan about Joshua. When we do this, we are reminding the devil of God's sovereign choice of us and the Jewish people. Saying Jerusalem is important because when we stand with and bless Israel, we receive Israel's blessings and protection. Satan can't defeat God's choice. Satan was rejected forever, but we've been accepted forever in the beloved. Rebuke the devourer with the same phrase the Lord used. Worship team, you can come up. Third way, pray in the spirit or pray in tongues until the attack lifts and the lies flee and the peace of God fills your mind. If you don't have this gift of praying in tongues, it is a wonderful gift. I used to think it was really weird. I didn't get it. And then this really sincere man just told me how it helped him, and I believed him. I said, okay, it's a good gift. You only give good gifts. That's what the scripture says about God. If it's a good gift, I want it, even though it's really weird. I want it. That's what I thought. Then like three months later, I got it. So just start desiring it. It'll come. I believe it will. When we pray in the spirit, when we pray in tongues, we are praying the perfect will of God over our heart and mind. I believe that scripture makes it clear that we are literally praying the intercession of Jesus over our internal environment as we pray in tongues. We build ourselves up and take hold of the narrative of Jesus over ourselves and others as we pray for an extended amount of time in tongues. This has worked for me time and time and again. This has worked for me as I've come under firestorms of accusation or a spirit of fear or whatever. It may take five seconds, it may take five minutes or 30 minutes or a few hours, but eventually the satanic conversation about myself or others that I might be caught in the tongues help me to silence that and tap into the holy opinion of myself. Fourth way, ask the Lord how he feels about you and others and how he sees you and others. We mentioned this briefly earlier. Here you're basically asking the Lord for his heart and mind on the matter. Jesus is really good at exchanges. He loves giving us gifts in the great exchange window of the cross. 
It's always open, by the way. That great exchange window is always open. If you don't like the way you're feeling or thinking about yourself in a situation, if you sense you're leaning too heavily on that zero side of the spectrum, trade in your thoughts for his thoughts. And the Lord isn't one of those used car salesmen with trade-ins. He loves to give you the best deal. He gives you the best deal. Trade in your thoughts for his thoughts. Exchange your feelings for his. He might answer you with a picture, a word, or a verse as you do this. When you call, he will answer. The Holy Spirit likes to talk to us way more than we realize. Fifth way, use your mouth, your mouth, to bless and deliver others. We're going to look at a boomerang effect because of this. A great way to combat being stuck in a cycle of demonic depression and and to break free from those devil-inspired thought spirals is to turn your heart to others and start praying for, blessing, and prophesying over other people. Getting our mind off ourselves and our issues and serving others is often a ticket, a fast pass to freedom. There's There's what I like to call the boomerang effect of prayer. Boomerangs, you throw them, they come back to you. What you throw, you get back. What you sow, you, you reap. When we sow in blessing and prayer and prophetic encouragement is often what will come back to us, what we'll reap, and often what will propel us further onto that hundred end of the spectrum. Now for these last two keys, six and seven, I just wanna invite us to stand up, just to stay engaged. Let's stand to our feet. The sixth way, call a believer or go visit a believer to pray for you and to remind you who you are. Remember in Zechariah 3, 5, when Zechariah got in on the action and asked for the angels to put a clean turban on his head. He, he did this for his friend, Joshua. This verse showed us a principle that our deliverance is often found in the mouth of another believer right next to us. So let's pull on the anointing and the faith of our friends around us. If we ever find ourselves in a demonic spiral of doubt and fear or accusation, don't stay there isolated. Come to church. Go to them, call them, text them. Invite someone you trust to pray for you and declare to you who you are in the Lord. This happened for me with so many people. When I went through a three-month period, it was a barrage of satanic accusation against me from the enemy. I was in a terrible place. But countless times, my deliverance was found in the mouth of another believer praying for me. Often it was Brooke, because she was right there, prophesying over me, encouraging me. There were so many people in this church who got me out of that pit, like Zechariah did for Joshua. I actually, guys, this is sincere. I don't know if I would be alive if it wasn't for a few key words and prayers from people before and during the prolonged season of attack in 2020 and 21. That's how real the sixth way is. It could save your life. I believe it literally did for me. Now take advantage in a holy way of the amazing people God has put around you for such a time as this. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Last point, final point. Seventh and final way. Just keep showing up to church, to home group, and the prayer room. Just keep showing up. If you find yourself stuck in a rut, 
stuck in a storm, my last encouragement for you is to literally physically move geographical locations to a place more conducive to the conversation of Jesus. Especially if you find yourself easily distracted from the things of God in a certain place. And really, if you're in a toxic home or work environment, get out of that space and get into God's spaces. Put yourself in physical locations and places where God's narrative is consistently being told. If you're hanging around the pool of God's conversation, you're gonna get wet. You're gonna get encouraged as you weekly and regularly and consistently choose godly fellowship and conversation. You're gonna move that much deeper and closer to being tapped into the 100% end of the Jesus narrative. Show up to church, show up to home groups, show up to the prayer room, to prayer sets, and so be filled to overflowing with the thoughts of God to where there's no more room for the lies and distortions of the evil one to take root. Amen? All right. We're gonna sing a song in a moment, but I'm gonna pray for you guys. I just wanna invite you to put your, one of your hands on your heart and the other hand on your head. This whole message is about cleaning your heart, cleaning your mind from the accusation of the enemy. I'm gonna pray for you guys. Just receive this prayer. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, over every heart and every mind in this room. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem and chosen every single person in this room, rebuke you, Satan. Are these not brands plucked from the fire? Lord, I remind you that these are brands plucked from the fire. And in Jesus' name, we remind you, Satan, that these are brands plucked from your fire. Lord, would you take away filthy garments from hearts? Would you wash people in your blood right now? Wash their minds in your blood. Wash their hearts in your blood right now. And Lord, would you right now come with all of your helping angels and surround each person with a rich robe of righteousness. Lord, completely surround them. Even give them a hug in the spirit and impart to them your perfect righteousness, I pray, Lord. And Lord, would you put a clean turban on every mind? I declare over your forehead, not the mark of the beast, but holy unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord. You are holy unto the Lord. There's only gonna be two foreheads in the end time. Holy unto the Lord or 666. Only two foreheads. Your forehead is holy unto Jesus. Lord, give them a clean turban. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We invite up prayer teams during this last worship song. Dad, Mom, come on up. Gary, come on up. Jim, come on up. Frederick, come on up. We'll have people to pray with you. If you want to continue to pray for that heart and mind or any other area, we have people here to pray for you. We're going to sing this last song. If you have kids, you can go get them during this song. You can wait. We'll, we'll have enough time here. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. 
To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.